0: Beginning in verse 1, the Word of God says this. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind And individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith. In service in serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, often Paul's epistles can be divided into two main sections. Namely, you have a a section that is about doctrine and you have a section that is about duty. Uh, Ephesians is a great example of this. The first three chapters are about Christian belief and the next three are about Christian behavior. And, And this pattern I want to point out because I believe it's important. It's the way that we should approach, I believe... Christianity, Uh, we should always begin with doctrine, with belief. And that doctrine should lead us to radical behavior. See, so many people try to begin with duty. They try to start with behavior. They're trying to, to keep the rules. But if you don't start with the gospel, if you don't start with belief, you'll never be able to keep the rules. And then you have those who are all about doctrine. Some of them have degrees in theology. They know the Bible frontwards and backwards. They can quote Scripture to you, but that knowledge never produces any fruit because they are just uh, about getting more and more knowledge and they have no practical application. So I want you to see as we uh, at the forefront of this message that doctrine and duty... Are very important and always start with belief and then move on. Let that overflow into behavior. We find this same pattern in the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters of Romans are dedicated to the gospel, and here's the message a summary message of what you find in those 11 chapters it talks about the truth that we are all sinners. And that God is perfectly holy and He's perfectly righteous. That we all fall short of His righteous standards. It teaches that we are deserving of the wrath of God because of our own unrighteousness. But that God, in His great mercy, gave us Jesus. Who lived a perfect life and died a gruesome death in our place. Thus appeasing the justice and the wrath of of God and making it possible for all who trust in Him to be justified or to be saved so that there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. So that's Romans 1 through 11. Paul begins now a new thought in chapter 12 with these words, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. See, the word therefore is important. It connects you to the previous chapters and thoughts. Paul is saying on the basis of the gospel that I just told you about, on the basis of the mercies of God, I appeal to you. And then he gives them application. He moves from doctrine to duty. What do we do upon knowing and receiving the gospel? How does our salvation impact our Christian walk? See, if you say that you are a Christian and that you believe the gospel that I just preached, if you believe that and nothing changes in your life, something's wrong. See, Paul breaks it down. He says, now because of this gospel, he tells us how we, number one, can relate to God How we should relate to ourselves, how we should relate to other Christians, how we should relate to the world, and how we should relate to the civil authorities or our government. And around the election, if you remember, I preached out of the second part of Romans 12 into chapter 13, teaching us how to relate to the world and to the government. So today, I'll briefly mention how the gospel should change the way we relate to God. We We talk about this often. But I want the focus to be on the way that we should view ourselves because of the gospel and the way that we should relate to each other, the Christian community, because of the gospel. So number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The gospel should impact the way that we relate to God. The gospel should impact the way that we relate to God. God does not just want our spirit. He wants all of us. The gospel should impact the way that we live. It ought to impact the way that we think. It ought to impact our bodies. And it ought to impact our minds. True spiritual worship is not just singing songs that get us all teary-eyed. Spiritual worship is giving ourselves fully, wholeheartedly to God. When we are saved, we become part of the family of God. And like I talked about on Wednesday night, if you were here, you heard me talk about James, who calls himself a servant of God. And that ought to be the testimony of every believer. That ought to be the way that you see yourself. Is Listen, I am a servant of the Most High God. I'm part of the family of God. That's what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord. That means He has Lordship over my life. So we offer our bodies and we offer our minds to the Lord. Have you ever heard someone say that, well it's my body, I'll do with it what I want. Kind of a don't judge me kind of attitude. Well that's not the heart of a Christian. Because it's not mine anymore. Everything I have belongs to The Lord, body, soul, spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's talk about what it means to present our bodies as a spiritual sacrifice. Uh, Bible teacher David Paulson tells an incredible story uh, of uh, a man who was at a missions convention. And the purpose of this gathering was to raise money for missionaries to mobilize the gospel. And so he's listening to missionary after missionary, story after story. And he's so compelled, he wants to do something. And it's time for the offering to be received. And all of this money, 100% of the funding will go to missionaries to mobilize the gospel. And so he reaches around to his back pocket and realizes that he doesn't have his wallet. How many have ever felt that? Like your heart sinks. And he was humiliated. He's up sitting towards the front and he says, here I am. The whole point of this is to raise money for missions. And I have nothing on me to give. And so he bowed his head in prayer and says, Lord, what do I do? And at that moment, he felt the call to missions. And he took out a piece of scrap paper from his notebook and he wrote on that paper simply his first name and his last name and he put it in the offering plate. Lord, I don't have money to give today, but I want to give you more than my offering. You can have me. That is the heart. It doesn't mean that everybody is called to be a missionary, a, a global missionary at least. But we are all called to give ourselves fully and wholeheartedly to God. Don't feel like you give your 10% in the offering plate and come on Sunday morning and feel like you've done good enough. He wants your Monday through Saturday as well. Come on somebody. So God doesn't just though want us to present our bodies, he wants us also to present our mind. In other words, it's not just enough to do good. He wants us to think like the Word of God as well. Amen? Amen. James 1 says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and overflow of weak, wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. Right. Think about that. God doesn't just want us to do good things. He wants our minds to be transformed. We are not supposed to think like the world. And I don't know about you, but Christians make me mad on Facebook. Because I want to say, do we read the same Bible? With your views and your thoughts and the way you're conducting yourself. We're not supposed to think like that. God wants our minds. He wants our minds to be transformed. According to verse 2, this is very interesting. The reason that many individuals do not know the will of God is because they haven't given their bodies and their minds to the Lord. I don't understand. I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. I can never hear His voice like you hear His voice. Could it be that you haven't surrendered to the Lord? What we just sang about. I surrender. I want you to picture that I had a... a, Well, here, I'll use this as an illustration. Let's say right now that I wanted to fill this up with God's drink, L8-1. Come on, somebody. Before I'm going to fill this bottle with L8, what would I have to do? I've got to empty it, right? So many people are up here crying their eyes out. God, I want you to, uh, to fill my life. I want you to. I I want to feel your presence, God. I want to know you more. But they're still filled with their own stuff, and there's no room for the things of God. If you want to know the will of God, if you want to know the heartbeat of God, if you want to be close to God, you've got to. I would. if, If I didn't need my water, I'd dump it right now. But but you've got to empty yourself out. You've got to surrender. Number two. Not only should the gospel affect the way we relate to God, but the gospel should impact the way that we view ourselves. Look at verse 3. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This will help some folks this morning. Amen? But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Notice how he starts this. Before he talks about you and me, he says, "For the, by the grace given to me. He mentions this word grace. We need to see ourselves through the lens of God's grace. There are really two erroneous ways in which you and I can view ourselves. Number one, you can think too highly of yourself. I can think too highly of myself. Paul begins... This section, again, talking about God's grace. And if you realize that every good thing in your life is because of the grace of God, you would not be able to boast in your own doing. It would be impossible. We need to remember that every gift we have, every good and perfect gift, comes from the Lord. We recognize that, oh, the reason I can sing, or the reason I can preach, or the reason I, you know, I, I can, I'm can i so good with children, or youth, or whatever it is you do, it's because of God's grace in my life. And I have been around preachers who believe that they are God's gift to the earth. They are more important to the body of, of, of Christ than anyone else. There's this kind of unsaid thinking that... If you're a preacher, you're more important. I've dealt with this with, I was a worship leader for 15 years and I've dealt with it with singers and musicians. They think that they are God's gift to the world and they they don't really care what they say or what they do because you should just put up with it because they're so good. And people feel like they're irreplaceable. But can I tell you that no one's irreplaceable. If you're going to bury the gift, God will raise up somebody else. we've had it. We've had people step out thinking, well, I don't know what the church is going to do now. And God will send ten more our way. Hallelujah. One problem is that the church folk think too highly of themselves. But there's another issue as well. And that's that some Christians think too lowly. Of themselves. They have too low of a view. This would be the man in the parable of the talents who had just one talent and he buried that talent, thinking it insignificant. Listen, every one of you has something of significance to give to God. Every Christian has some God-given gift that is meant to be used for His glory. And to say otherwise would be to call God a liar. And there are people who think, well, Pastor, I can't preach or I can't teach or I can't sing, so I'm useless. No, you're not. You have something that you can bring, listen to me, that I don't have. You are special and you are unique and God has given you something. If we're going to reach this city, if we're going to reach, you know, we talked about celebrate recovery. If we're going to make a dent in the heroin problem in this city, we need every one of you. Because you have something that I don't have. You have a gift that I don't have. And we need every single one of you. And so what happens is when, when people think too lowly of themselves, well, I just don't really have anything. The church lives because we're one body, and we need you. You might be a pinky finger or a little toe, but we need you. I want you to know that we need you. So, my point is, because of the gospel, we should not think too highly of ourselves, nor should we think too lowly of ourselves. You just move in the and in, in, in minister in the grace that God has given you and the gifts that God. Have given you. And this brings me to my third point. The gospel should impact the way that we relate. To the Christian community. Look at verse 4. For as one body we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ. And individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ. According to the grace that is given to us. Let us use them. Oh, if you hear anything this morning, get a hold of that phrase, Let us use them. In response to the gospel, use your gifts to serve fellow believers. Paul uses a very common metaphor in the New Testament referring to the church as a body with many members. Now let me just give you some takeaways from this. Body parts are diverse... But collectively, each of our parts makes one body. I want you to think of our anatomy for a moment. A, a body made of all the same part would not function, would it? That The church would not function if we were all the same. Don't ever apologize that you don't sing or that you don't preach. It would be a mess in here if we were all singers and preachers. Diversity, hear me, is a beautiful thing within the body of Christ. We have different gifts, different backgrounds. We come from uh, different cultures. We are different people. And our individuality is beautiful. And I think it's sad when we just try to forget the individuality piece. Celebrate our individuality. Celebrate our diversity. That's why my heart as a preacher, I don't want everybody in my congregation, to look like me, talk like me, act like me. I love diversity. I grew up in a church where everybody looked the same, talked the same, thought the same. And I'll just be honest, I fell asleep almost every Sunday because it's boring. Give us diversity. But here's the beautiful thing. Though we're diverse, collectively, we are one. Christ is our head. He is the treasure. But we're one. Members of one body. Together, we make up the body of Christ. Diverse, but in Christ, we're unified. We're working towards one purpose. Working towards one aim to glorify God. Now, think about this. When one body part isn't functioning, the whole body suffers. I broke one time. I mentioned my, my, my pinky. Because I broke my pinky fractured at one time. And before that, my pinky seemed rather insignificant. But when it was not functioning, I realized how much I needed that pinky finger. And God has given each one of you a gift, and that gift is meant to be used to serve the church. And when you don't use your gift, here's what happens the entire body suffers. It is not for me, listen to me, it's not for me that you serve. You're not coming to, to help the preacher. It's not in a response to some campaign that you serve. Let's go back to the beginning of Romans 12 and remember that Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Why do we serve God? Why do we serve each other? Why do we serve the world? Because of the gospel. Because it changes, completely transforms who and what we are. So, I want you to understand that it's frustrating. Some of you are going to really understand this illustration. How many of you have, even this morning, a body part that's not functioning completely like it should? Come on, somebody. How many have multiple parts? When you got to bed this morning, you thought, right? Isn't it frustrating when your mind is alert and, and most of your parts are working well, but you can't do what you want to do because of? Whether it's your back or your legs or your knees or your hips, I'll find you somebody. Come on. Are you in there somewhere? <laughs> yeah, come on. I got some amens. It's frustrating. And it is frustrating for us when 80% of the members of our body as a church are functioning and doing what God has called them to do, but we can't be fully effective. We're crippled because the kneecap. Or an elbow or whatever it might be is not using their gift to serve the church and the Lord. I want you to think about that. Let me bring something else out here that's very important. Don't try to use somebody else's gift. Verse 7 says, if you're gifted in service and serving, if you teach. Teach. The one who exhorts in exhortation. The one who contributes. Do it in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Eyes don't function too well as ears, do they? Hands don't function too well as feet. And the same goes for our church. Several people idolize certain gifts. And so they, instead of using their gift, they're trying to be somebody that they were never meant to be. Do you hear me? If you're not called to be a preacher, don't preach. Amen. I'm not talking about, you need to share the gospel, but I'm talking about, don't, don't don't let that be your dream. Don't don't try to go after that if that's not your calling, your giftedness. If you don't have the gift of teaching, don't teach. If you don't have the gift of, of singing or playing, please don't join the worship team. I had one young lady, I was early on in my worship ministry. She comes up to me, she says, Pastor, Pastor, she said, I'd like to join the worship team. I said, You would. College Hayes girl, I said, yeah. She says, Yeah, I would. I said, What do you do? She said, Well, uh, this was in Mount Sinai. She says, I play drums. And I said, You do? How long have you been playing? Oh, Pastor, I've been playing a long time. I said, That's awesome. I said, Are you good? Well, i, I Yeah. I, well, I just have one issue. I said, What is it? She said, Tempo. <laughs> and I said, Baby, you're not a drummer. <laughs> Don't try to be a drummer if, if tempo is your issue, are you with me? If you can't seem on pitch, sing your heart out out there, just please don't get on a microphone. And that doesn't make you less of a person because God has given you something. He's gifted you with something and if I would have let that young girl on the praise team as a drummer, what would have happened is not only would our music have suffered, but another area of mystery would have suffered because God had given her a gift. And if she's on the worship team, she's not doing what it is that she's called to do. So in response to the gospel, use your God-given gifts to serve the Christian community. Let me just make this very plain. And I don't say this as a rebuke. I say this in love. But this is as plain as I can put it. Our church is not functioning to its capability because we don't have 100% participation in Christian service. We have gaps. Christianity Today put out an article several years ago suggesting that we are hurting the church by refer- referring to those who serve as volunteers. And this makes a lot of sense to me. Think about this. When something is your duty, you don't volunteer. You do it. It's expected of you. You don't wake up in the morning and volunteer to take your kids to school. Right? Right? You, you don't talk like that. You don't say, Sorry, I can't go golfing this weekend. I'm volunteering at my house. What would you say? I'm a dad. I'm a mother. I'm taking care of my children. I have responsibilities that I'm taking care of. and we See, we volunteer in places that we're not expected to be at. Whether it's at Red Cross or the Salvation Army, those are good, good places to be. And I, I hope you serve in those type of places. But these places are optional. Places of service. So, yes, you're volunteering, but when it comes to the church, this is your body. This is your body, and it is your spiritual duty to do what God has called you to do. We are servants of God, not volunteers. Because when you came to Jesus Christ, you're not a volunteer. You don't get to pick and choose the days that you serve Him. You are a servant of the Most High God. So this becomes your duty. If you've presented your life, as we talked about in the first couple of verses, as a living sacrifice to God, that means my life, your life, it's not mine, it's not yours, it's His. Amen. So we do with it what He asked. In closing, let me give you just a couple of thoughts here. Christian service is not something that you retire from. I've had several people say to me, Well, I used to serve. And I, those were in my glory days. Now listen, maybe you used to chase kids all around the, the building. Maybe you can't do that anymore. But I want you to know that your purpose, as long as you have breath, there's a purpose for you in this church. Christian service is not something that we ever, ever retire from. My uh, my aunt, who is a pastor's wife, just has a ministry called Apples of Gold, where she teaches young women to be women of God, to be godly wives. She takes young wives and she has them over to her house, and she just she teaches them. She very practical things that just how to how, how to be a good mother, how to be a good Wife. It's amazing. And doesn't the Bible call us to do that? Young or older men are are supposed to pour into the younger generations, and older women are supposed to pour into the younger. Some of you seasoned, I'll call you ladies. We've got some young women that would love to converse with you and learn from you. Your purpose is not done. And I hope you never feel like that in this church. This is one of the reasons it's important for me to have a blended service. Where uh, I, I love the new Psalms, and we're going to do the majority of that. But why do I want a hymn here and there? And a, because I want you to know, senior saints, that you're still valued. Your days are not done. I can't imagine not having you at this church. I'm turning 39 next week. To, to many of you I'm still a young buck, right? I, I, I preached a, a, a Bailey's dad's a memorial this weekend, and I came in and they all go, he's a preacher? They thought I was like 12 and a half. <laughs> Darlene says, I already fell down, and she walks in with a word of encouragement and says, you look even younger when you dress up. <laughs> That's right. That's what I'm going to say. So, Christian service is not something that you retire from, nor is it something that you have to get to a certain age before you can serve. you. I, I loved last week our, our, our children, our, our, our students, our teenagers. Wasn't it awesome that they were leading us in worship and song and human video I and mean, all these things. Listen, they already have value in this church. It's not that we're waiting until they're 18 or 21 or 25 or 30, whatever. Every one of you in this building has purpose. Another thought here, you will never... Feel a part of the church if you don't serve. You'll never feel a part of it. I have people say, well, I'm going to leave because I just don't feel a part. And I've told you this before. These are the people who usually come right when service starts, leave as soon as it's over, don't talk to anybody, and I promise you they're not serving. And you know what? It's, it's interesting to me, just 17 years of ministry, and I hardly hear any complaints about anything anymore because you all are just the best. And uh, 17 years of ministry, you guys are the most gracious, loving, kind church. That I just hardly ever hear complaining and grumbling. And I thank you for that. But um, people... I've noticed over the 17 years of my, my ministry that the biggest complainers and grumblers are the ones that don't help us at all. They just want to sit back and judge everything that everybody else is doing. If you don't help, you don't have a right to... You don't have a right to say anything negative. Okay? Let's let's think about this. Let's all be a part. You're you're not going to feel a part of the body if you're not functioning in what you've called to function in. So this this is critical. You'll never, ever, ever feel a part of the church. I want to think of the human anatomy one more time. Isn't it frustrating when one of your body parts, I'm going to go back to this, is not functioning? You want to do things, but you can't. There's a statistic that says it's called the Palado Principle. Have you guys heard this? It says that 20% of the people will do 80% of the work. And I've been told, Pastors, you just got to accept this. I refuse it in this church because Ephesians 4.12 tells me this, that it's my job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. See, a lot of people in churches today, they think the preacher signed up to do all the work of the ministry. It's not my job. I'm sorry. Don't don't shoot the messenger this morning. All right. My job is to equip you to discover, develop, and deploy, just like we did do for our teenagers. Your gifts to help you discover your gifts, to develop those gifts in you, and then deploy you. Say, hey, do them. Do your gifts. Use them for the Lord. So here's the application for today. This is get plugged in Sunday. I want to ask you just a couple questions and then we're going to do something a little bit different than than normal. Um, Let me ask you this. Do you know, and you can answer this to yourself, do you know your gifts? what God has gifted you with? Or gifts? Do you know your giftings? If not, here's what you do. Today, you see one of our pastors, or you see in the back, Miss Darlene, raise your hand, Darlene. She's our connections director. Her job is to help connect you with whatever you have, she'll talk to you and figure out what you're good at. And she's, her job is to connect you in a ministry that you can serve in. So, most of you know what your giftings are. You're good with children, you're good with youth. What If you do know that, if you know what you're gifted in, I want to ask you a really point blank question. Every person in here that calls Real Life Community Church their home, are you using that gift or gifts To serve this community. This church. Okay? If you are, I want to say thank you.